1: Welcome, Welcome to the Land and Legacy L- Podcast. This is your host, Adam Keith and Matt Die. You know, it's an exciting time of the year. People are starting to get a little more excited about deer season. We're getting a little more excited about food plots. Actually, we're getting a lot of excited about food plots. If you look at social media, like Habitat Managers, Matt, how often do you see questions and posts about food plots right now? When don't you
0: see? (laughs) I mean, it is all over. It is definitely the buzz. And and honestly, it's a good thing because as we're going to talk today, there's certain preparations and things that you need to plan for and consider when planting fall food plots that honestly are going to really increase your success during the fall and success even during the springtime for your next crop. So taking that time now, and asking questions and researching is really important, and it helps be more successful uh, from a hunting standpoint and just a, a management standpoint as well. So it's good to see. But there is certainly buzz all over everywhere you look—articles, blogs, um, short short uh, segments on uh, video segments. From people are sharing all over. Uh, just gets you in the mood. Hmm. I, I remember um, as a kid.
1: And, and I don't know, it seems like now a lot more people are planting spring food plots. But as a kid, we didn't plant spring food plots. We just let them, the food plots set fallow basically throughout the next spring and summer. But fall was when we planted food plots. It mm-hmm. was uh, turnips and wheat and oats, and we planted all kinds of stuff. It was like it, mid-August and even sometimes early August, depending on rainfall, it was just chaos um, and as you know, Matt, uh, a lot of those days was plowing the food plot. Then we would disc the food plot. Sometimes we would harrow the food plot. That's three trips right there. And you haven't even put seed in the ground. Well, not just three. We disc it. We had to disc it twice. So it was actually four. <laughs> and so, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh man. And then we had to put seed in the ground. Then we had to drag it and, and cover that seed. So it was a long process. Think. Praise God that we've figured out uh, that we've that we've kind alternative of methods to be able to educated ourselves to find alternative methods. Yes, uh, it was just a very oh man, I, laborious. I just, process. I just cringe thinking about those days. But fall food plots, man, fresh smell, turned over dirt, <laughs> and broadcasting that seed, man, we had so much fun back in those days. And every August, there's not an August that doesn't come around that. First off, I don't get depressed because I see kids are going back to school, and I remember how much I didn't like oh, it. Oh, I thought
0: you were going to say because you turn a, another year older. No, that <laughs> doesn't bother me at all. <laughs> sure.
1: Um, and actually, I'm looking 30 right in the face, and I, I, yeah, whatever. It's just another day. Um, but the food plots, that to me is just uh August and the food plots. It's just so much excitement in preparation for deer season and and that's that's where we're at, so we've got a lot to cover today. We but really bef- do. Before we go in to talk about the food plots, I'll just give an update. You know, we sat down, sometimes we've done this podcast late at night, sometimes it's been uh oh, so early in the morning and I say that very you know how I feel about those early morning podcasts. But today actually when we sat down to record this, Matt and I hadn't been Oh, it'd been like four minutes and we hit record. So, um, I was going to update him as well as you guys. Uh, I was this morning, I've been running around, went down and met the logger or met with the logger and uh, looked at the logging operation on the Prairie Hall of the property. I don't know how many acres they've logged by now, but probably, I don't know, 40, 50 acres, something like that. Um, and it's coming along great. They've, I think they have probably four loads of logs hauling out of there. Um, Lots and lots, big takeaway uh, for this one is lots and lots of sunlight hitting the forest floor now. Uh, Mm -hmm. Went from closed Mm -hmm. canopy now to where you stand there and you just, you spend more time in the sun than you do the shade. And that's a great thing. Um, But another encouraging thing is there's a lot of, I don't know, 8-inch diameter DBH white oaks and black oaks and chinkapin oaks all scattered through there that the logger left. And uh, some sometimes you get into operations where they'll take that, and he understands our goals and objectives, and he left those logs. So we've got next generation. Um, something's going to have to change for Matt or I to ever see those logs and make any uh, <laughs> saw logs. But uh, uh, somebody down the road is really going to appreciate the hard work and the management we put into it today and this year. So um, lots of sunlight, lots of young trees left, even a lot of big oaks that were probably hollow or had the chance of being hollow or left um, they're going to be great acorn producers and great trees to produce the
0: next generation as well so you, you know i had a thought when you're talking about like these really young trees in the next generation and everything it's like you know you've heard that uh that show if walls could talk like what they would what they would say think about those trees right now you've cut all like a bunch of the competition away and they're probably like. Yes, this is my chance. Like they're finally like, I can do what I'm supposed to do. And mm-hmm. not only are they the next generation, but they're they're the some of the best trees in there, the straight trees that are be very um, uh, produce a lot of, of hard mast and then just good timber saw logs. Now they've got room to grow, they've got great form. Um, so not only is the next generation, but it's a great generation of trees coming up for hopefully kids and
1: people down the road and think about when we were down in new orleans for the qdma national convention and we walked those streets felt a little bit like crocodile dundee when he went oh, to new york yeah. for the first time shoulder to shoulder walking around very crowded almost like a little bit irritated kind of just i i need some space and you know those trees that think of the same thing oh yeah that's, like, that's if, exactly if, what i'm saying if, right if that tree right next to me would just get gone and I could get more sunlight, more nutrients, I could really, I could grow and grow and grow. It's just like, think about, um, I only have one brother and, but some people talk about when they were k- kids and they have tons of siblings, Is like, yeah, I didn't have much to eat because everybody else ate it. Same thing's happened with trees <laughs> as far as nutrition. It's like the little wormy younger brother who everybody else gets it. The same thing is going on with
0: trees. It's just like... They're getting out competed. It's like it's like that old guy at your work who's been around, and you're like, "Just retire already." I want your job. And then finally, the day comes, and he retires. And you're like, "Yes, I can climb the ladder."
1: Yeah, for sure. And that's what's going on down there. There's so, hope. Yep. Yeah. Um, there's going to be a lot of growth going on in those trees, and a lot of a lot of forbs coming up. Oh yeah. Uh, it'll be it'll be really cool to watch and and monitor and. You know, one thing when I was walking around, um, before we dive into the food plots, but one one other thing I noticed and talking to logger is, of course, there's it's kind of dry down there. There's lots of skitter. They're dragging logs around, so there's a lot of bare dirt. Um, there's a ton of deer tracks through there. Like so many that I would say, I might ought to think about hunting here when season opens up. I might ought to follow this shoot maybe when he shuts down the skitter. End of the day, I'll just sit on top of it. There's that many tracks around there, and talking along. And he goes, "Oh yeah," he said. By the end of this, he said, there'll be deer that are almost that they will see throughout the day. That kind of just hang around, and they'll drop a tree, and they'll if there's buds or really young, fresh leaves, they'll go in there and eat those, and uh, of course, smell of dirt. Uh, that was one thing I remember in the days of plowing up soil is we turn up some dirt deer came in the next night or burn a fire and there's there's ash they're very curious animals so they were all over around that logging operation so um i'm sure they're loving it too
0: that's good to know yeah good to, good to see that um i mean you you knew that they were there mm-hmm. but just good it, it's kind of like that other anticipation like man they're going to be in here so much more when this stuff starts really growing and they're already in here taking advantage just being curious looking around um how they're going to utilize that area is going to be awesome to watch the progression. One other thing, the logger told me that was like, yeah, okay,
1: I'm not sure I'd take that. But so he logged a farm not too far away. a Friend of ours owns that's just infested with bears. Um, that in fact, last I heard, they'd caught they'd made like 35 captures. Um, some of them had been captured multiple times, but 35 captures to where. They're putting radio collars on them, ear tags, and and uh, setting them back right there on the property. But um, with all those captures, tons of bears, he said that when he were logging it, there was bear trails all over that property. Mm-hmm. And he said that, look, he described how they look different from deer trails. And he goes, by the way, you got them up there. I'm like, what? And he goes, yeah, up around all those uh, rock, rock, out, out rock out croppings, he said they're the exact same as what's on that property. And, of course, we've seen quite a few bears, but... It was kind of like, oh, okay. I hope oh, you're wrong. That's why I don't go over there very yeah. often. Yeah, remind <laughs> me not to climb through there when I when it's dark. So, anyway, yeah, that's all going great. But to this week, we're going to be talking about food plots. And by the way, before we do that, we encourage you guys. I don't know if you've noticed it yet, but we just dropped a uh, last week. We dropped a podcast called Long Winded. Um, Long-winded. A little bit Land shorter. Legacy. I think that one's only like 12 minutes long, but um, then we're going to have some coming up. Um, not, uh, We won't guarantee every week, but we're going to have a lot of them coming. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> we encourage you to check those out as well. They're a little bit shorter, probably a little more. I don't know if they can be any more casual than what we are now, but
0: <laughs> right. that's the goal so uh casual yeah, we just encourage you to check those out as well different different type of top topics they don't replace these podcasts but just other thoughts that come to our mind that we're just kind of like, you know what we need to talk about that we talk about it and and move on so they're quick they're shareable and and hopefully um they're interesting that that you guys are, you know that's a good thought that's a unique thought i haven't really i haven't really thought about it so get your wheels turning at least so that's a long-winded with land and legacy Adam, you ready to talk about food plots? Yeah, let's talk about food plots. Matt, you've got the notes. I have no idea what's on the notes. Let's just take off. Let's just go. I think one of the first questions that really a lot of people should ask is and not just go with the trend of, oh, well, everyone's planting food plots. It's just, I got to plant a food plot. But why do we plant fall food plots? Like, what is the reason behind it? And, you know, I. I think there's a lot of, mis- kind of misconceptions, if you will, um, of the purpose of food plots and so on and so forth. But why do we specifically plant the fall food plots? For me, I plant food plots
1: for, I, I would say, two reasons. First, um, being a, a an awesome hunting strategy. They're a hunting tool, in my opinion. As in, we are going to try and encourage the deer to come through here during daylight hours. So we'll push... We'll plant these little food plots uh, in an ideal situation close to a, a known bedding area and know that that's one of the first places they're going to go uh, in the evening or come back through in the morning, um, and we'll be sitting there waiting on them. So hunting tool is a big part of it. The other part is possibly having some, if we've, if we've spent the time, we know what we need on the property as far as forage, and uh, so it's a good additional food source throughout the winter months so going into february and march there's still hopefully food there that's another kind of big reason why we do it Um, because we can plant some annuals that are growing during that time of the year uh winter wheat um, some clovers uh vetches winter peas stuff like that so
0: yeah and that that's the big point kind of wanted to hit on you know obviously every food plot every food source that you have that you that you that you plant and you have high quality forage and it's going to concentrate deer it's going to concentrate their movements and that you know that just makes it easier to hunt so it's an incredible hunting tool but i want i want you know everyone to understand the importance of the forage and planting forages we'll get into this further on the podcast but planting forages that's gonna have food available for deer during those stress periods and a lot of times in many states that stress period that late february march time frame is not does not occur in um hunting season but we still need to be thinking about supplying and meeting the, the nutritional needs of deer during that time. Because that's just going to make for healthier deer, bigger antlers down the road. So when you're planting, don't just think about October or, or November You know, with your food plot strategy. Consider those those time frames outside of hunting season, outside of that window where the deer are going to be more appreciative of them. Um and, and you know, just having that mindset of okay, I'm gonna do this for them at that time and then take advantage of it during hunting season. So I think that's that's where we like to get to with, with understanding why we're planting fall food plots. And what about the the idea of supplementing native forage, Adam? What kind of native forage are our deer focusing on during the fall and during the late winter? And how how are we planting and giving them the variety um, in our food plots? So a lot of time, uh, a lot of times during that time of the year, they're eating a lot of
1: buds and almost little twigs. Uh, basically, it's a what's the word I'm looking for? There's a lot of woody brows. Woody brows. That's it. Sorry, you bingo. Kinda, you know, I was I was kind of toying around with the phone with our friends there when you did that, so I'm trying to get back in it. But um, woody brows. There's a lot of woody brows. So they're eating that's available because the ragweed and the other um, forbs that were great during the summer have now matured, or matured as some people call it. And Depending uh, on where you're from, <laughs> I'm just trying to reach all audiences. Yeah, and uh, whether you're sixty so, or six, <laughs> <laughs> they've uh, matured and now they're in, they're just more of a cover, and the woody brows is is the native. Vegetation or the native forage that's there, or the available forage, and we're going to supplement that with a high-quality forage like a brassica. So it's not as we talk until we're blue in the face. Diversity is key, and in providing diverse forage is not only great uh, for the for the wildlife, but it's just well, it is great for the wildlife as far as. The, giving them the ability to select their forage and that's the purpose basically and i hope that's what you're going for as i try to
0: yeah i mean the the, the importance is is having obviously options and having the options for deer because we're going to get into this in just a second but enough forage for all those options so let's say if you have a mild winter you know, you've Bingo. got the, you've got the best forage for those mild temperatures to offer, and that might be, um, you know, a lot more native browse than than your grain that you planted, and you've got standing soybeans or, or corn. You know, they might prefer the native browse, and then your food plots aren't going to be hit as much. So that's why that's a great case in saying food plots are supplementing, you know, other forages that you provide. Um, I really should your pay habitat. attention
1: more, um, probably. So I know the the question, but yes. That and and I'll touch on. Um, so we've talked about the forage, the diversity of the forages. But not only that, but if you go a, a hard winter and we planted um, corn or something that's providing a grain and great carbohydrates, um, high energy stuff, we have all those available. So we may plant soybeans and corn and have standing grain, and it may be a mild winter. But we have turned around and we planted uh, winter wheat and other stuff. That's that's supplementing and and providing forage even when the temperatures are more uh, more of a protein is what I'm saying, um, a green forage. So it's a great food source even when the temperatures are in the 60s and 70s and everybody's complaining, there's still quality forage available to the
0: deer. For sure, for sure. So. And I think that, that kind of dives us right into <clears throat> our multi-species, high diversity food plots and, and the forages that we select. And and the fact that you know, if we consider you know, all right, most most bow hunting seasons open up September or October throughout much of the whitetails range, and then you consider when they end. Let's say January one to February in most cases. Our, if, end of February if you're in Arkansas, yeah. which is unbelievable. Yeah. So you know, stop and consider there for that one for a minute what the weather's like throughout those months so if we're if we're going into fall saying oh i'm going to plant this you really kind of kick yourself in the rear because throughout those months the needs of deer are going to change completely because even from a day-to-day standpoint deer change their forages based on the weather conditions and what their bodies need so if you're planting just one species you're really only hitting one window Um, so that's a major thing to consider when you're, when you're selecting forages to plant. Make sure you've got things that cover the basis, cover the needs for that entire time. Um, for example, let's just give an example. Clover. If you
1: have planted, you've got three, three food plots and all you do is plant clover. Clover is a great food source, but in early in the hunting season, September, October, it's going to be great. Deer are going to love it. It's going to be high quality forage but as it gets a little colder it's going to go a little more dormant and if you have a high deer density and your clover is now kind of going dormant it's not growing as much and your deer are hungry and they're eating that they're going to eat that
0: down to pretty much nothing and oh. that's why it's important or stop or stop hitting it if it turns completely dormant and though there's no palatability. There's no nutrition, and they're going to move elsewhere. That might mm-hmm. mean a neighbor's food plot, or that might mean a neighbor's um, ridge top where's got plenty of acorns. Not corn, just a so neighbor, so a neighbor who may not uh, abide by the
1: same rules as you. Right. So right. that's why it's important to plant these um, diverse,
0: um, diverse food plots. Uh, absolutely. And and another, when, you know, you hear a lot of people t- talk about mixes and and if they they gel well with one another, the species. And, you know, you ought to do strips versus planting them all, just mixing them in a bin and going forth and planting or, you know, just broadcasting all of them. I think for this instance, again, this goes back to kind of the weather and, and selecting the different forages that will get you through that time frame. It's almost like it's kind of a time release, like ticking time bomb for these forages because each one, and we'll talk about which ones we plant and select. Kind of hit a different time period without throughout the season and when they're most palatable or when they're producing the, the most forage, and understanding that that mixture is going to get me through this this fall and, and time frame and concentrate deer to my hunting location and then feed them after season. Yeah, that's a win win. So, you know, one forage just doesn't really get it my done. Cultures. Yeah, you you've got I, to be able to be flexible because. Deer change their patterns daily and what they eat how much they eat so you have to be able to to hit that niche um, with your management strategy i i I've shared this with you Matt um, when my brother and I Chad
1: we were planning the first food plots and actually dad was a big part of the first food plots we planted uh buck oats I, I believe mm-hmm. and uh, as Chad and I started getting a little older and getting more into it. One thing that we read, and, and we read it multiple places, so it was kind of like, okay, we can't do that. It said, don't ever plant cereal grains with brassicas yeah. or legumes. Yeah. And it was kind of like, okay, and it said because they rob nutrients from the other one. So it was like, oh, makes sense, okay. And so we were planting wheat here and brassicas here. And and now, knowing what we know, we're like, like Chad and I are kind of like, I don't know who wrote that article, but I would love to go back and find them and say, hey, thanks a lot, <laughs> jerk.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that time just kind of wasted because you've now, you've you've done your research and you've learned that and experimented with it that, man, these things work great together.
1: As we oftentimes, a big part of our consulting and everything we try to promote is try to replicate what's natural and what's native. And when you look around, and I know we repeat ourselves but a lot, but monoculture is not natural um it's not the way god designed
0: it in our opinion so uh, well i guess not really just opinion just the way nature grows yeah i mean you you look at the great plains let's just talk about the successful
1: areas successful ecosystems and and great plains is one of them that we talk about a lot because i honestly i love that ecosystem and you look at the amount of species that grew and how each one of them provided benefit to the other one. And so that's why we try to do that again with our food plots, with these high diverse mixes and uh, 10 to 15 species all in one bag and one drill or one method, and it's all out there um, in the food plot. And so to me, that is just replicating nature, providing forage, throughout the deer season throughout early season all the way to late season and uh it's just uh it's it's
0: extremely successful and you can even make a comparison like in hardwood regeneration you you don't really ever go to a stand and say oh look at all these white oaks they're just all white oaks here no it's a it's a mix of oaks like white oaks Black oaks, red oaks, hickories coming back into a you, forest. And then you have the uh, almost Doglets the, the and yes, gums, the shorter and, ones that yeah. are mid-story, mid-canopy trees that throughout that lifetime, that span, a time frame, you have different species occupy um, areas. So basically, we just look at that and say, I'm going to apply that to my food plot. And again, it has very very successful um, results with it and offering their variety and things throughout the entire fall so not only that they have they each have different root systems and that's yeah. not
1: this week's podcast but each one of them have different root systems so some are going deeper into the soil some are spreading out one is a big tap root some of them are fibrous roots um, and that's that's a huge another huge benefit so we encourage you to to look into mixes and blends this fall
0: correct and you know by putting all these mixes and stuff together we you know we kind of touched on it earlier it's a time release food plot wheat's going to come on um really early on if you're doing that um small grains and they're still going to be good later on in the season but turnips you look at turnip tops the green tops they they're very attractive um early on and then they hit the tuber so at different times of the fall they're hitting different forages so if you have all that in one plot what you end up doing is concentrating deer to that plot and then creating a routine for those deer to continue to come there throughout kind of opening day time frame all the way through the season. And what that does is make deer movement more predictable. And,
1: and, and that's, to me, it's, I, <clears throat> excuse me, I think the, uh, the word that I think of is steering. Now, we're, we're trying to—deer already kind of passing through the area, but now we're trying to steer them into a 40-yard shooting lane, basically, or a 50-yard shooting lane that's the form of a food plot.
0: Right. And, and by having all these different forages, they get used to it, and they know that that's the place to go to, whether it's kind of a, a cold spell or you get that 60-degree day thrown in there. You've got different forages that they're going to select for that, for that um, specific weather movement— and you know they're coming there. So again, it's that predictability that it increases the hunting strategy. So let's compare that, Adam, to just uh, you know a late season food plot. And I think late season food plots are in certain areas beneficial. But let's say if you just planted soybeans uh-huh. and you have standing grain, and it's uh, say November, and the rut kind of that time frame is just really warm. And they're what, not going
1: to that food plot.
0: What do, yeah. What do you do? Um,
1: you think about uh, a monoculture of soybeans that's planted, and they may afford they probably foraged on the on the beans throughout the summer. Now this, now the leaves have turned. We have got a frost. Leaves are turning yellow, and they're starting to shed those leaves, or those leaves are still waxing. They're not palatable or not very high quality forage for the deer, so they're not eating it. And we're like in this gap. I want it to get cold. Um. So the deer start selecting the soybean pods. Uh, last two years, we've had very mild winters. So the mm-hmm. guys that are out, I have friends that are shed hunting in soybean fields, and they're like, where are all the antlers? And I'm like, well, they're probably where the food sources are that, when they were shedding, and that wasn't soybeans. That was clover
0: at the, that, that time. That was
1: clover. That was wheat. That was something
0: of a high-quality protein forage. One of the most predictable things about Mother Nature is that it's unpredictable. Ooh, so, with that, oh, do you like that? <laughs> so, you have to be able to manage for the the cases or, or you know, the base of the broad spec- spectrum that Mother Nature is going to throw at you. Whether it is you have that 60 degree week in November when it's primetime hunting, you've got the food resources that they're going to come to, or you've got the food resources when it turns bitter cold in January. You can't predict that and say that this is what it's going to be like every season, so I'm going to plant this. Yeah. You've got did, to have did, the mixtures, the did, diversity. Did you hear that, Matt? Some guy just said
1: that, yeah, there's, but there's nothing more attractive than standing soybeans during the winter months. We heard you. Yeah. But here's how to combat that. Um, whenever your soybeans start to turn, or let's just say you planted a conventional soybean and it's already – it'll be turning in September. Go in and broadcast wheat, rye, cereal rye, oats, turnips over that standing grain. So yes. now that's going to germinate and fill in the gaps to where now you have a you have the best of both worlds. You have a, a forage in the form of wheat, turnips, um, and then you have the standing grain right there. And that's that could be a dynamite spot. For sure. From the very warm days in September
0: to the very cold days in January. No doubt. And if you're a guy who who is in crop country and you're you're kind of the I pay my farmer to to leave two acres here great great we'll set aside a little bit more and then just come back and drill or plant you know your your small grains in that area you know just because you've got standing beans doesn't mean you can't enhance that area even more and um, i think that's and you can even drill through that you can oh yeah Um, at that
1: point in the you know if they're six foot tall it might be a little more difficult but if the beans are Three foot tall, and you can slow it down, and you can drill through those standing beans and not really hurt them that much and have better germination um, with your weed or whatever it is you planted for the fall just by getting better seed to soil contact. So,
0: there's options, and I think it, it's it's wise for, for people who are interested in managing their habitat to consider those things, um, those curve ball- balls that Mother Nature is inevitably gonna throw at you. And when you do, you're not you're not sitting back saying, "Man, I wish it was cold." You're sitting back and saying, "Which plot do I go to?" Mm-hmm. You go to the one that's got the wind, the right wind. Oh, by the way, man, I didn't mean
1: this is regarding fall food plots, ah. but um, I got I was talking to Dad yesterday, uh-huh. and uh, we're gonna plant the middle the middle field in wheat, even though it's fescue and clover right now. He he agreed to that? He agreed to that. So oh, we're gonna plant gosh.
0: wheat. Uh, I don't I think that's a six acre field, so we're gonna have wheat right up there in the middle, smack dab in the middle of the property. And that has never been done. You you and I have talked about just what it would be if, if there was a, a crop or you know, this and that across that um that section of the farm. And six acres is gonna is honestly gonna completely change the deer movement, not only on your farm, your family farm. But the surrounding area, mm-hmm. you're going to be pulling a pile of and deer, it's, and it's already a area that they cross. It's kind of a little oh, yeah. a little
1: sway um, that they cross uh, from one big bedding area to the other. So, we're just enhancing that that much more, and that's something that anybody can do on a cattle farm. Um, if they're looking for a way to plant a food plot, and they're like, oh, "It's all pasture, I can't do it." But if you go, if your cattle are in a certain area right now and they're grazing it down. And fescue is already kind of dormant in a lot of places because of the heat. But um, you can go back in and drill these fall food plot blends into these pastures. Since they are an annual, um, they're going to run their cycle. But you're going to have high-quality forage during the fall. And if it gets too tall or you're like, ah, I don't know, it's getting pretty tall. I'm afraid it's going to go to stem. The weed's going to go to stem before the winter, which would... Basically, be the demise of that wheat. You can go in and graze it, and the cows get the benefit. It sets the and keeps keep growing. Yeah, and then you turn around and let the and put the cows back out of there, and now the deer have it again. It's just it's one way to con, to kind of
0: and help with the whole cattle wildlife relationship. Not not only are you putting the cows on it, pulling back off, but that fresh growth that's going to come back after the cows forage on it. It's gonna be so tender and lush it's gonna be extremely attractive. Um, mm-hmm. and that was just a, that was a pasture that was grazed down pretty low um, during late summer and then you utilized it mm-hmm. and not to mention there's a lot of clover in that plot in that field, excuse me yeah, in that, that field is. there's a lot of a lot of clover so, um, Another
1: thing about wheat when it gets grades, uh, you plant it and it comes up and it's one stem or one blade. When it gets grazed and knocks it back, it comes back. It's like four Malt or five. Shoots. And yes. and that's how you get this almost bushy type wheat from, from grazing. A lot of it farmers actually in. do that yeah. in crop country. and They plant cover crops of wheat and then they put the cows on there and allow that wheat to get more blades that ends up turning into more seed heads the next year. So,
0: That's a game changer.
1: Yeah. Uh, he told me, and I, I, well, you know how it's been in the last... Year. your
0: dad your dad is it's like mother nature he's throwing you curveballs like hey let's oh, try this you know
1: speaking of curveballs my dad's a bland guy bless his heart he's very much a you go to baskin robbins or you go to andy's and he gets Bonilla. a vanilla cone <laughs> and you're like out of all the choices and there's last, 31 here pops we, we went to an ice cream shop last night and he gets the america which had like six different toppings no i, I was like I, I wouldn't even try that like i couldn't is, believe it i don't know is he a
0: sprinkles guy Nope, he, really, I could see him
1: kind of being a sprinkles guy. Well, that had all kinds of raspberry <laughs> and blueberry, but oh, anyway. Wow. So yeah, things are changing on the Keith farm. Dad's getting uh, coming around, and and we're going to be planting a six acre. This is like uh, a midlife crisis for for Fred Keith right I, now. I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's that's a, a good one. It's a good one. Yeah, he's like the midlife crisis. Is he's accepting his son's ideas, which is groundbreaking.
0: That's earth-shattering. It is. (laughs) I can't believe it. (laughs) So
1: Anyway, on the food plots, though, um, we're going to be planting more. I know, Matt, I don't know where you're at on your list of questions, but everybody right now is like, I don't care. Like, I want to know, what are you planting? Tell me what
0: to plant. Real quick, before we get there, we'll get in there. You're going to make them wait to the end of the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want them to listen to the whole thing. There's a lot of good stuff in here. So... When we're when we're planting plots and selecting forages and forage the variety that we're talking about have been mentioning the whole time, there's a, there's honestly four different things that we really do consider, um, and this goes beyond just um, attractiveness of forage or hardiness of that forage to get us through the this time frame, and and the the four things are the root system, like Adam mentioned earlier the nutrient cycling capabilities of each of those uh, species of plants, what they're, what they're cycling and, and what they're doing to the soil at that time frame as they're growing. It's so basically what cover crop, um, how, how are they enhancing that, that soil and the fertility in that soil. And then the time preference in which they are most productive during the fall. So that way we can, we can kind of know if in our mixture there's going to be a gap or a window, and we can kind of fill that with a different plant. Um, And then as well as the biomass production. So how much like tonnage are we going to be able to look at and and see during the springtime? And that, of course, is dependent upon um, how much it's browsed. But we want to plan ahead and consider that because then we're going to use that cover crop average terminated in the spring to help cover our seed as we broadcast or or drill um, into our food plots. So those are really the four kind of big things that, that help us guide Um, our decisions and what we're planting in our plots and hopefully again i'm going to go through those again real quick it's root system nutrient cycling capabilities time preference and biomass production those are those are the things that again we consider and hopefully have encouraged you guys to consider as well when selecting species to plant each and every fall okay done with that you want to talk about what it is we're planting I think that's what everybody's
1: waiting on, (laughs) including myself. Everyone's on the edge of their seat right now. Take it away. So now keep in mind, when we talk about diversity and we want diversity in our food plots, and this is one thing that you'll notice as we follow along, Matt and I and my brother being a big part of it on the farm, is we're not scared to try new things. In fact, we want to continue trying new things and see if there's always a better way or in most cases, okay, we can't do that anymore. Or that That's not going to work. Um, the other way we were doing it was better. Um, for example, we tried drilling corn and milo and buckwheat, uh, everything. Things that we heard you could never drill. Uh, in a mixture. In a mixture. So we had corn, milo, soybeans, lab lab, red ripper cowpeas, sunflowers, uh, milo, Several millets, buckwheat, um, sedan grass, all. Uh, I think that's it. And uh, these, these seed sizes vary if you
0: ever looked oh, at it. Gosh. Incredibly.
1: I From mean, a big, big grain of uh, corn to tiny little pearl millet. Um, all mixed together and drilled it. Um, calibrated and drilled it. And I'd always heard you can't do that because they'll outcompete each other and it won't. But we tried it just because we we try to strive on trying new things and trying new techniques just to see if there's always a better way. Um, something that's, I guess more relatable can help somebody else. And we're actually having some huge success with that plot. Now the corn is probably, is a lot thicker than you would see in a conventional crop or a cornfield. I mean, we're on six inch row spacing (laughs) and uh,
0: versus, but it's still working.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's providing, it's doing its purpose. Now, we're not looking for um, big... Production yields. Yes, we're not looking for uh, huge bushels per acre of production yields. We're looking for providing some grain um, and, most importantly, structure uh, as far as allowing other stuff to grow up that and vine up that. So Mm -hmm. we had huge success with that. So keeping that in mind, we're going to be trying new things this fall, planting new blends, um, different species blends to try and find different ways to do things. So we're going to be planting a almost a more clover-heavy mixture. Now, it's not going to be a straight clover monoculture, but um, we're going to be planting a clover mixture in certain areas um, to try and find these little kill plot mixes that will be um, great to uh, uh, plant of perennials, basically. So we're going to be doing those. We're going to be trying some other... Um, Basically, our normal that we did last year, uh, tweaking a few pounds per acre of, of different blends, but um, always try new things. And so, we encourage you to follow along the podcast and the f- and the Facebook uh, p- posts and Instagram posts to see exactly what we're doing. But now, can we talk about the mixtures? The 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 species. Our the main the, our main <laughs> species. I don't know if I want to hear that voice on podcast anymore. But um, the main our main fall blend that we're going to be planting in most of the areas is going to contain, I don't know how many. We'll, we'll list it out here and we'll add it up. But
0: you, write, it, gonna, write it down right there.
1: We're going to be planting a purple top turnip. Now everybody knows what that is. A forage turnip. A gopher daikon radish. Hairy vetch. Crimson clover arrowleaf clover oats wheat cereal rye trick to or trick to cow depends on how you want to pronounce it that's 10 species winter peas winter peas and rape i think that's it that's 12 species all planted in one area Um, And that goes against a lot of stuff I heard growing up. But we planted that the last – now, we planted a similar mix for almost eight years now. Chad and I have. Um, Now, we planted a similar mix for almost eight years now. Um, Chad and I have. Matt, you were still out in Virginia um, trying to figure out what was missing in your life and ended up being Missouri. But, um, Yeah. yeah.
0: Something like that.
1: So 12 species mixed together, and it's just a phenomenal. I, I love that mixture so much. Um, does so much for the soil. Provides all kinds of forage for the deer.
0: And uh, it's just a it's a really cool one to plant and watch it all grow. Um, and I, I'm, I'm going to stop you there for a second because I know there's someone out there thinking, 12? Like, come on, guys, is that really necessary? 12 species. I plant wheat and deer come to it. Like, come on now. Like really? Twelve? So well, think
1: think about more think about more than just the attraction attractiveness to the deer. Correct. And try to think outside the box. Now, the wheat is gonna be great. Yeah, you plant wheat and it, it's a great pool during certain times of the hunting season. But if it gets really cold, then it may not be as attractive. So planting this mixture, we're gonna plant the the turnips, which are gonna have great bulbs basically, and they're gonna be incredible deer food even when there's snow on the ground. Matt? Yep. You're getting and, quiet on me. Well over I'm there. just
0: kinda I'm I'm just I've got the the, the thoughts in my head I'm just kind of make sure you're you're easing through those points. And and even some of these forages even during the fall time they might not be doing as much but come springtime and spring green up before we're planting they're doing very well and very attractive or they're mining um, certain nutrients that those soil samples that we've taken indicate that that soil is low on that macro or mi- micro nutrient so yeah we're going to throw it in there what the heck why not you know it's like it, for me think about harry vetch right I mean, it's not a
1: that's not a plant huge specifically it. Forage. We don't plant it to say, "Oh, yeah, that's feeding the deer." That's more of a fixating nitrogen and providing great organic matter next spring.
0: Yeah, it it, it is basically that's when it turns on. It, it's kind of like kicking in the governors come um, mid to late March, April timeframe, and it's like boom, it just explodes and really fills in your your food plot. So if you've got the rye that's that's jumping as well. And then that the hairy vetch comes on and grows a lot during that time. you got more cover to be able to use for your, your food plot during the next spring. So again, you know, the time frame, the window that we're talking about really isn't just fall, isn't just hunting season. It's from now until the next time you plant. And what can you be doing for your soil, for your wildlife to make it more productive and that, that's ha- by having these high diversity species to just kind of hit all those components and just plant, throw a few more different species in there. And another example I'll use, there's tons of them. We can talk
1: about this. This is going to be a whole other long-winded podcast, I'm sure, because we can talk about this forever. But um, let's compare oats and wheat and cereal rye and, and the purpose that each one of them have.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Now the oats it, come on a little quicker. A little more blade. Blade Blade-like. More um,
0: forage, more tonnage. During the fall. Yes.
1: And so during October, the oats are just way more of an attraction than the cereal rye or wheat.
0: I've read studies and and seen it personally firsthand that deer do select oats over wheat and rye more so as it's beginning to grow like that. But oats doesn't have the the capabilities after season Mm -hmm. that rye... And wheat will have for us in our in our food plot strategy.
1: And the cereal rye is a, it's a decent attraction. It, it provides forage, but its main goal is focused on the next spring mm-hmm. and growing up six foot tall and providing great organic matter. The wheat, what its purpose is, it's going to grow throughout the winter and provide great forage. Yes. And so we've we've taken three different cereal grains and talked about their purpose and how they benefit us and that's why all three of those benefits are exactly why they're included in every one of our mixes.
0: And and here's another kind of reason why we do mixtures. It's because if you're planting a single species, you're putting all of your hope into that one species of making what if it gets dry? What if something happens that it doesn't do that well during drought right at the first or you know it doesn't have that hard protective seed on it, it can't survive in the in the um the, the soil as long as others that, that's kind of a wasted crop that's wasted time what is the
1: phrase that every farmer has ever said don't put all your eggs in one basket and that's exactly what you're doing when you're planting a monoculture
0: right think about the we've had september's a, here that have been really dry
1: we had an october and november which were really dry last yeah. year um think about how the, the video you and i watched a while back matt and the farmer this was a farming video on youtube but He had planted a monoculture of plant A, plant B, plant C, plant D, like strips or parts of the field. So each one of them was a monoculture. And then on another side of the field, he planted all of those plant A, B, C, D, E, F together. And whenever whenever he planted, it, it got super dry. And he showed what happened to each area. And... Plant whenever it was the monocultures, you see a little bit of growth, but not much. But then he went to where it was a, the blend, and it was incredible green and grow growing, and it was all because those plants su- leaned on each other, they right. supported each other, and they got through it. And that's another huge benefit of planting these blends.
0: Yeah. So, for the guy out there who's like, ah, I'm going, I'm going to plant one. I'm I, I don't wish it upon you. I hope that every growing season is a good growing season, very cool season annuals and, and plant that you're that you're selecting. But at some point you're gonna get a fall that just does not cooperate and unfortunately your food plots are gonna suffer and therefore your hunting is going to suffer as well.
1: Yeah kind of a jerk today you wish the drought upon that no i'll I'll say this much No, no i'm talking now you're the jerk and so we're just gonna i don't wish to unhook your microphone so (laughs) one thing i would encourage that guy if he's if he's had great success every single year you can't argue with success but in the long run we need to think about more than just the success of a of a 140 on the wall let's talk about the success of the soil health and everything else that goes with these high diverse blends i would encourage you if you're planting a a huge field in wheat plant a quarter of it it's not that much more seed actually the seed's pretty inexpensive um i would encourage you to buy another four species and plant those on that other quarter of the field and see what happens Mm -hmm. just see see what happens as far as um the forage quality the amount of forage and the amount of overall benefit to the to the environment basically yeah, don't and, uh, don't
0: just look at at the times that you're hunting either monitor it throughout the entire fall and throughout the winter time see what happens see how deer react to it Mm-hmm. what's our next question
1: matt we talked about i just talked about all the species some other species that you can you can cut that down if you're planting a smaller area and you're like i want to be a little more focused on clover in this area so you can do the crimson clover arrow leaf clover even throw in some perennial clovers if you're going to in the long run have that in clover mm-hmm. um but if you're planting let's say four species let's say you plant arrow leaf crimson clover red clover and durana clover i would we would very much encourage you to plant some sort of support group with that nurse crop like a nurse carry crop. you through sometimes wheat Oats, plant those with it, and those are going to provide also provide forage, but they're going to be more. They're going to almost protect that clover. Not almost. They are going to protect that clover in a young stage, and then once you get it, that crimson clover and airleaf clover, they're going to keep coming back as a as an annual and reseeding. But the perennials are really going to take off in the long run, and. I would encourage you to continue planting those cereal grains every single fall. And uh, that's that's another food plot that we're going to be planting this year and monitoring and seeing how, how much the deer adapt to it or how much the deer be- benefit and go to it. They use it during the hunting season. That'll be a big part of our kill plots, our small little less than half oh, yeah. acre plots. Don't uh, underestimate those. Put those, those in are, the right
0: places. You can kill deer off of them. Those
1: are definitely a steering strategy. For sure. So, for sure. anyway, now, so, Matt, so I, th- I
0: think, you know, the other question that comes up often when planting fall food plots is when? When do I know the right time to plant fall food plots? And, of course, no doubt, that's going to vary where you're at across the country and your hardiness zone, this and that, and... Our general rule of thumb that we try to keep in and and check with, and of course it's still dependent upon the rain, it's about 45, so that's 60 days before your average frost. Well, how do I know when my average frost comes? Type in your location into Google and then say average frost date, and it will tell you typically what your average frost date is, and then from there, back off. 45 to 60 days you want you want the root systems and everything to take place take hold and forage to become attractive and put on some tonnage so that when you know it it is timed right that those plants can and root systems have established themselves enough to be able to support the heavy browse that your food plot may be expecting so that that time frame 45 to 60 days with rain occurring i think whether when you're planting like the actual hour you're planting or a day ahead and then honestly i would be looking for the 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 rain that comes a week out as well so ideally on a seven day forecast if i'm planting the first day i want rain that day or the next and then somewhere within the next seven days a good chance of rain and that would really help and jumpstart the success of that food plot because, again, we've just talked about how hot and dry August can be and September um, across much of the country. And you don't want to find yourself planting just because you got that time or you want to get it in the ground early and then it just turns dry on you. Mm-hmm.
1: Another thing is you don't want to plant too early. Now, it's easy to get ahead of the – to jump the gun and, and mid-July rolls around and we start getting some rain and say, it's time to plant food plots. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to capitalize. If you were to plant – let's say oats or wheat, Um, and this goes back to what we said earlier, if you were to plant that in July or even sometimes early August, depending on where you're at, and we get great rain and it starts taking off growing, there's a chance that's going to start trying to produce seed heads or go into a stem stage before we get into the frost and winter months. And if it does that, it's going to freeze and not make it through the winter, all because we planted too early. So it's important that you don't plant too early, depending on what, kind of, uh, what, what type of species you're planting. Um, that's why I almost cringe sometimes when I see guys planting their fall food plots in mid-July. And it's wheat and turnips and everything else. And the turnips are going to probably do great. I actually know a lot of people that have great success planting those a little bit earlier. And, but if and, you're planting
0: cereal grains, you're going to have problems. There's places in, in Wisconsin, Minnesota, northern Michigan, New York, things like that. They're really gearing up right now or already have seed in the ground. But that's specific to those locations. Um, I've, I've in those seen those that actually latitude. a lot
1: in the in the upper Midwest, Iowa, yeah, uh, Illinois. Iowa, Nebraska, that, yeah, for sure. If it's just greens, you're probably fine you're not mm-hmm. going to have the issues but if if you're thinking out i guess thinking of a mixes it's probably not it's not ideal to plant those cereal grains this early into the summer well for us almost every time we look for maybe the the last few days of the first week of, of august is about the earliest we've ever planted uh, but a lot of times it's mid to late August. Say when that we're planting.
0: Eighteenth is when we're really serious, serious checking the weather, making sure it's like okay when is go time. We're prepared. Mm-hmm. We've got seed. It's just a matter of you start looking having that forecast. Yes, and um, you know that's a great. You're talking about Iowa. There's some people you know probably planting greens up there or would be at this time frame. But right now, much of Iowa is really really dry, like very dry. So. It's going to change year to year. But looking at that forecast, don't just say, I'm planting that date. Did you see what happened to Iowa today? Did it rain?
1: Toad strangler. <laughs> and But but that's not going to change the fact they're in the middle of a drought. Right. Um, they're but still I'll guarantee you it was a huge line, big old red line mm-hmm. on the radar that went across to Iowa. I guarantee you there was many attractors going Oh no doubt all the way, gas to the bot pedal to the metal trying to get some some food plots in before yeah, that rain sure. So, um, sure but other they are definitely gearing up up there
0: yeah mm-hmm. so i guess one of the last things that you kind of really want to talk about with with food plots and it's kind of the hunting strategy around them um you know we, we talked about you know steering deer and concentrating them and this and that and all right, that's great and all, but how how do you how do you hunt them? How do you hunt a let's say, and in, in our opinion, our kind of our management style, we break food plots down to really kind of three different categories, and that's a kill plot, a typical acre food plot, and then destination plots, and each one of them have their own strategy in the way, in the way we hunt them. And each um, one of those can overlap. Like you sure. can have a larger plot
1: considered a kill plot or a one acre place. In that area, that's the destination plot. But for the most part, that's kind of the three categories,
0: right? And again, you know, how do we how do we how do we hunt them? When do we not hunt them? Honestly, is probably the best question. And just break it break it down, Adam. Hit hit destination plots real quick, and then I'll talk about food plots, average size, and then we can talk Des, about the destination kill plots. plots. For me, I rarely hunt. Um,
1: that's the big place, the big food plot that. Deer, when they stand up out of the bed, that's their that's where they're headed, and like the like the end result. That's kind of the end result where they're going to spend a majority of the night, or they're going to head to that area and be around that area um, during the night. And that's to me, I just automatically think big bottom fields where deer they're just they're st- bedded up on the ridges and they're working their way down. Now they may never get there before dark, and right. that's a big reason why I don't hunt them. Um, is because I hunt them, I don't hunt them for a couple different reasons, but a lot of times they're not getting there till after dark, especially during early season, anyway. Another reason is I just don't want to, I want to, I want to hunt them going to and from that plot. Uh, I'm going to eliminate the amount of pressure I'm putting on because of that. Now, another, when I do hunt those, a lot of times that's late winter, um, because. It seems like that's where I'm going to plant. There's not as much browse pressure because we have so many acres of food. And so that's where I can have standing grain or, or uh, a lot of food available. And by this time of the season, that's kind of the preferred food source. So a lot of deer going there. And that's, that's really only when I hunt them. So that, a lot of times that's, that's muzzleloader season for me automatically is what I'm thinking. Okay, destination fields, that's muzzleloader season
0: yeah i think I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there and, and for food plots kind of that mid range um or you know plot that deer get to in many times of the season um during daylight hours or they they'll hit that on their way back from a destination uh food source in the morning time frame you know this we is, we really want to limit limit the hunting pressure on them we hunt them we key in this these, at the right to me, of the year. i think of these
1: are These are properties, these food plots are on properties that don't have, it's timber country, so they don't have big five plus acre destination fields, if you will. These are the one to two acres that are on. That's the biggest food plot on on that property. Um, I'm just trying to give an example for guys to relate here. That might be, it may be a destination, but it's a smaller destination food plot, and Matt, now I'm, I'll let you take back over.
0: I think I think the the most important thing is is to only hunt it when the conditions are right. It's so tempting to just dive in and hunt a food plot because you know some deer are going to be there. You're going to see some activity. You can see a long way. It's, that's so tempting when when you you want to be successful or just enjoy an evening in the stand. Um, but that doesn't mean that that is the time to hunt it. There's likely a better time. Um, and that might be save it for a cold front, save it when, you know, deer are going to be on their feet in uh, a half hour earlier, or they're going to get into their bed a half hour later or again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so honestly, if there's, if there's a transition area, if bedding is a little bit further away from that food plot, I want to, I want to actually focus my attention and my hunting strategy around that transition area that I can get to and get out of much easier than a food plot situation. And I'm going to, I'm going to, Preferably pick that area, just kind of sneaking in and letting deer walk past me to that food plot and not hunting that food plot. And, Adam, that kind of takes us into kill, kill plots. plots. Now, and these that same are the ones I love. Idea.
1: Um, kill plots, less than a half acre, very small. A lot of times we're planting clover, something that can withstand a lot of pressure, um, like a perennial clover food plot uh, mixed with cereal grains, obviously. Uh, but these are the small little plots that we've positioned in between a destination food source or a, a, a food plot that's two acres where deer are headed. But we place these in between that food plot and the bedding area. And this is this is the steering. This is where we've, we've found the area that the deer want to go through or naturally go through. And we place this little bitty... Eighth of an acre opening that we placed uh, that we planted clover in to basically just be a little bit of an attraction that they're going to stop at and grab a few bites before they go on to the next big food plot. Mm-hmm. The reason why I like these so much is deer—they're so small. Deer feel comfortable in them during daylight, and a lot of times, especially mature bucks, they're going to hit these and be hanging out here scent checking the field or scent checking the area before dark they're going to hang out in here until it gets dark and then move out into the more open areas where they're a little more susceptible to predators so these little areas deer feel comfortable in them because they're small they're so small i can probably shoot all the way across them and deer aren't coming here and hanging out till dark they may be here a little bit till dark Um, but they're not going to hang out here for multiple hours after dark. They're passing through. And, like, even if a mature buck comes in there and he's hanging out and scent checking and waiting till dark, you're hanging in that area, as soon as it gets dark, he's moving on. So I can get into these because deer aren't hanging out on midday. I can get in there, get set up, deer stand up from the bed, walk into that little kill plot, and... I'm either letting them go or I'm harvesting them, and then they move on to the next one, and I can slip back out of there and not alert the deer. That's why I love them. If I'm planting food plots, that's the ones I want to focus on rather than a two-acre. If I have 80 acres, I would rather have three kill plots rather than one big two-acre plot that I hunt the whole time.
0: Yeah, three kill plots that are in the perfect location, the right place. Yeah, because they're they're definitely important. I think you, you touched on it there. There's a lot of socialization that goes on in those areas for deer. There's a lot of communication that happens, whether it's scraping, uh, licking branches, so on and so forth. So not only is there attractive forage, but there's a lot of activity that deer kind of check in on and just kind of, oh hey, what's up? They'll, they'll see what's going on, and um, they're very they tend to be very relaxed in those areas, and um, great place to intercept deer. And I just you walk. If, it, if it's a non-target, if you're not taking a doe that night or, or you know, it's a young buck, they just walk on. You don't have to get down and spook them out of a field, nothing like that. They're, they're perfect. I love mm-hmm.
1: them. I love them. Yep. Absolutely. I think that pretty well wraps us up for yes,
0: sir. this week's podcast.
1: Uh, when we're talking fall food plots, hopefully we've helped you guys um, kind of understand why we plant and promote these blends, but also why you should. And um, all the benefits that go into those food plots, um, stay with us, follow up. Cause we're going to be doing another podcast in the coming weeks. Um, maybe even next week talking about how we plant our food plots yeah. and the equipment and different stuff that techniques that we use to be successful at it. So,
0: and I think if anyone's got questions on seeding and stuff like that, we we're going to be posting, um, what it is we're planting, what our mixture looks like pounds per acre, this and that, um, so if you're if you're getting your gears turned this is seems like something that you want to do um hang in there.
1: And if you have a question that's specific to your property, feel free to write us an email or yeah, f- contact us on Instagram or Facebook and we would love to help you out. We this is a we do this basically basically because we want to help you avoid the mistakes we've made over the years but also help you on your property so don't hesitate to reach out and ask
0: yeah i'm excited we're, ge- we're getting ready to pack up and go to texas for a couple consultations i know there's gonna be a lot of neat features and um, challenges that we're gonna be facing there in getting habitat primed up and and um, ready for these landowners so i'm sure we'll talk about that in the coming podcast as well so um, it'll be awesome it'll be a great trip and again if you got questions just reach out we'd love to help you out hopefully this was good i'm good to go adam all right talk to you guys next time see ya thanks for listening to another episode of land and legacies hunting and habitat management podcast if you want to see more check us out at landlegacy.tv or follow us on instagram and facebook
1: take pride in knowing that god has called us in genesis 2 4 to work and take care of the land so keeping that in mind Remember to do it all for the love of the land and the glory to God.